0: Listening to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast, affectionately known as The Mog, an open forum and promotional outlet for budding artists and creatives from all across the Mid Atlantic region. I'm your host, Brad Cox, not necessarily affectionately known as anything other than Brad Cox, but I'm here all the same. Let's see who and what we're chewing on today on The Mog. Friends, East coastians and countrymen and women of all ages, welcome to the Mog. As always, links for our guests will be made available in the description, and a song or some type of promotional feature will be tacked on to the end of each episode. We'd like to thank all of our sponsors: Vagabond Sandwich Company, Capricost Books, Musicland, Black Eyed Susie's, Double Groove Brewing, Baltimore Decal Gal, and Reb Records. Remember to love local, support local, and to eat and drink local. Don't forget to use discount code Mog pod for a 10% discount at Capricost Books. Everyone knows you can't stop by Main Street Bel Air without grabbing one of Black Eyed Susie's legendary orange crushes and a killer lunch or dinner. Black Eyed Susie's has been supporting Local for a long time. It's your one-stop spot for original and cover entertainment and an afternoon or evening out with friends on their rooftop deck. If you haven't heard, there's something very special about Double Groove Brewing. It's a melting pot of personalities, ages, loves, interests and musical tastes there are hippies professionals rockers folk artists friends and families here throw in the most delicious and satisfying craft beer on the planet and this place is complete magic they are tireless supporters of the local talent stop by their location in forest hill for a pint and a night out with friends Harford Dance Theater will be bringing the annual The Nutcracker to the Amos Center on December 3rd, 4th, and 5th. For information and tickets, just go to tickets.harford.edu. Also coming to the Amos Center, the hip-play ballerinas are on their way with their unique fusion of hip-hop and ballet on January 29th at 7 p.m. Again, it's tickets.harford.edu. And Winter Wonderland is coming to the downtown Bel Air area on November 27th. Horse strong carriage rides will be available each Saturday, November 27th through December 18th. Enjoy shopping in the downtown area or grab dinner with your family while you wait. For information, visit belairartsandentertainment.org. For other upcoming events, go to visitharford.com or the Harford County Cultural Arts Board website. Tonight on the show, we have a man that needs no introduction. Larry Noto of the legendary Musicland store in Bel Air is here to talk about the store's 50 years of success, his comedy, his big band, and how it all started. A lot of us were introduced to Joe Noto in our formative years, but Larry Noto has already taken the Musicland vision to new heights. And as a fan of Walt Disney, I know he's got even bigger plans on the horizon. Not only are they a sponsor of the show, but they have pumped a lot of music and life into the town of Bel Air. I couldn't be happier or more proud to welcome Larry Noto to the MOG. (laughs) Larry, welcome to the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast. Thank you very
1: much. I, I parked my horse over there. Is that okay? Oh,
0: absolutely. Is that all right? Yeah, I wasn't sure if you knew that the horse was coming. But the... <laughs> well, of course. How do you think I got here? Yeah, well, fair enough. Yeah. So it's been 50 years
1: for Musicland. Yes, it has. Yeah, That's crazy, isn't it? almost impossible to believe. I know, it really is. And and some people don't know is that my father had a store before Musicland. Oh, I didn't know in, that. Yeah, in Baltimore on called Govin's Music. It was on York Road, sort of by the senator. Okay. I don't know exactly where it was. Was, but, you know, he worked for another music store before that. He came over from Sicily when he was 16 and he was an accordion player and okay. then eventually became a music teacher and an accordion teacher. And then I don't know how long Govin's music was around, but just think about that. He had a whole other store before, for whatever reason, he moved it to Bel Air in 1971 and changed the name to Musicland.
0: Wow. So I remember doing Musicland in the Lincoln and you showed me the, the yeah. one location, I guess, by Looney's. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Right on Bond Street.
1: One. Bond Street. And that was 71 till I guess the late 70s. And then he was in Rock Spring Shopping Center and then in 1989 he built the building with a partner that we're in now so we've been in that building for over 30 years that's awesome i saw the dolls that you had made of him holding the the bobbleheads yeah yes yeah 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 i'm waiting for him to strike me down (laughs) from above for those so i was uh, curious what the light bulb moment was for him was he a musician himself in his formative years yeah yeah no he had a um he played in a lot of bands he was an accordion player a keyboard player i mean he could play any instrument but those were his main instruments and he had the joe noto Combo. In fact, before he passed, he found the real to real audios of his nightclub acts, and we actually had to transfer. Really, to, yeah, um, we had to transfer to CD. We might still actually make copies. We were going to make copies for customers, you know, or either sell them or just give them away. COVID got in the way of a lot of plans for our fiftieth anniversary. You,
0: you'll redeem yourself for the the, bobble With the heads. bobbleheads.
1: The exactly. Yeah, but get to, my music out you there. Can, <laughs> you can hear him playing all the standards. Um, In the nightclubs, and you can hear the, you know, the dishes clinking in the background and, you know, the supper clubs and all that stuff.
0: So were there other versions of the bobblehead before the bobblehead that is now with the accordion? Like, was there a version
1: with the guitar, the piano,
0: the the pipe? It was always
1: the accordion because that kind of our retro logo. None of that existed. You know, he didn't. You know, he didn't do any of that. That's that's all been done after his passing to kind of keep his to keep honoring him. To yeah, to, the stickers, m- and yeah, that. the stickers and the T shirts and the coffee mugs and that logo that didn't exist. Like Bill's music has always had Bill as part of their logo. Yeah, but you know, it was just Musicland. But before he passed. We changed the legal name to Joe Noto's Musicland. That is the legal name of the company now. Very cool. Yeah. So his name – so he knew that, that his name would always be a part. No matter what happened to Musicland, his name would be a part of it. And then these T-shirts and the logo and all that is to – it was very important for us to – convey to people that we understood where we came from right you know that this was my father's legacy this was his baby and that we were just kind of taking it to the next level and moving it forward but we remember our roots so it was very important for us
0: I was curious where the logo itself came from have you considered maybe doing like a Jim Henson except Joe Noto, above the music land like in cursive kind right of thing? yeah that would be cool that would be cool yeah yeah well, who did the original logo uh
1: so um the caricature is done by Garth Gerhardt who's okay. a friend of mine he was my neighbor he's a cartoonist he has cartoons in mad magazine and we've worked together on a couple different projects and and we're great friends, and yeah. he does all of our marketing. So he he drew that by by hand.
0: No, I meant the actual oh, store, the, the logo original
1: logo with like the LED lights or well, that the Musicland logo. So after he passed, we took the logo. The bars were not a part of the original logo. Okay, Those sound bars. Yes, but we and I and I said to Garth, we want an evolution, not a revolution. We wanted to just evolve it, add a little color to it. Yeah, um, and so he came up with the the bars, which are sort of their sound bars, right? Um, um their volume bars or they could also be like – it's almost like a cityscape of, of the land of music. You yeah. know? And then he came up with the tagline where music comes to play. Yeah. And literally it was his first draft. He sent to me and I said, that's it. Yeah. That's You nailed it. So we just wanted to refresh it a little bit. But the, the words Musicland are very close to the original logo. Again, we didn't want to – we wanted to evolve it but not completely change it.
0: My father and your father were actually friends. So I have to
1: ask my dad if he ever went to Govins before Musicland. Yeah. There's some like gold member people come in yeah. and there was a gentleman who came in. And in fact, it's framed up by his desk in the store. If you look closely, there's a frame. And he had – he brought it to me in the frame, this customer, and said, here's your father's business card yeah. from when he taught accordion. And um, so there are customers that go back, way back to Govin. See, I always knew about the guitar but not the accordion. Oh, yeah. That was his main instrument. Okay. That's a great picture. My favorite picture is um, – of him in Italy, and there's all these kids playing soccer, and he's on top of the pile with an accordion. He's like eight years old. Yeah. So, <laughs> so in the
0: store, when you would go into Musicland back in the day, Joe would be there kind of quiet to himself unless you would actually go up to him. But I can tell you, like, when I would see him out in public, he was like an entirely different and animated person. Yeah. He used to come into that Pizza Hut across from the Kitty city where I used to work, and he was just – He was vibrant, animated, and all that. And I was just curious, was some of that tough exterior because he was just tired of dealing
1: with musicians? (laughs) or You know, even in the store, I think it just depended on the minute that you caught him. You know, he was a classic... A Sicilian, you know, we're a little crazy. And, gotcha. and, and and he could be in the best of moods and like a spring in his step and like the nicest guy in the world. Right. Or he could be the – people be like, he is so grumpy and grouchy and mean. Uh, and, and it just depended on how you caught him, even in the store. So he had his upbeat moments yeah. in the store. And then even, you know, when he got home, he could be very quiet. Sometimes, you know, it usually depended on the day he had, how the sales were. Right. If he sold some guitars, you could always tell he was in a good oh, mood. Yeah. Yeah, a little spring in his step. All of a sudden, sudden, like, oh, sales are good.
0: Yeah, one of the things I always appreciated was he always allowed me to put my CDs on the countertop. Yeah, right. You know, they probably had no business being there, but they were there all the same. And he didn't have to do that, but he always was trying on some level to support local music. I always saw a bunch of CDs up there. Yeah, and you're kind of carrying that torch. I mean, not only are you supporting the show, which I totally appreciate. No, you no problem. But you also have so many local musicians working for you. You've got L from Heartbent. You've got Matt Keller from Blank Slate, uh, the long-haired fellow
1: also in Blank Slate. Who Matt else? Wrestler, yeah. Yeah, who else is working there? Noah. Oh, my gosh. What's his last name? Fontero from – uh, yep. I can't remember the name of his band. And uh, Scott Nowowski, he's in a local band. And uh, they're all in – everyone's in a band. Yeah. That is the biggest difference between – when, when he ran the store and, then, and now is that the store really runs as a team and that the team – there's a lot more staff obviously because we needed an army of people to replace him and yeah. they're very talented and they're empowered because – I probably know the least about some of the really detailed stuff about the guitars and things like yeah. that and the amps. And they are very talented musicians that know all about the pedals and the pickups and the humbuckers. I mean, it's unbelievable. They joke that I asked them in the in the interview. I always ask them like if they knew what a humbucker was and the different kind of humbuckers. Because right. I still don't understand what it is. And um, I saw your <laughs> NAM speech. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that's the big joke. I go, What the hell is a humbucker? Right. And I mean when I took over, you have to understand I didn't know the difference between a stratocaster and a telecaster. I didn't know the I didn't know those words. Right. And I was handed this music store and I was right. like, what the hell are you talking but about? But did you have a background yourself in music? No, or... I mean I was a drummer but okay, you not know, know in that. high school, yeah, in high school when I was in a band and the jazz band and the marching band and a rock band. And you are now in a band. And I'm now right? in a band which yeah. who saw that coming? Nobody. In fact, I'm driving my staff crazy because I'm like, It's seriously fantastic. Well, I have to leave because I have a gig or I have I have rehearsal and they they are tired of hearing about it, but it's um, awesome though. Thank you very much. Yeah, we so, had a, we had well, a gig last night. You were up in New Jersey, right? No, no, no it was right here in Bel Air. It was at like a oh. reti- retirement home <laughs> like at Brightview. Okay, Avondale, right, right off of a Ring Factory Road. That's fantastic. So it's a big band, it's yeah. a big jazz band called that, Eight, That's
0: a lot of setup.
1: Ain't Misbehaving. Yeah, it's like twenty three pieces, and it's you know. It's an older crowd, obviously, like last night, but they're mouthing the words, they're dancing. They know it. This is the music of their childhood. Yeah. You know, and uh, it's Sinatra and it's Bobby Darin and it's great stuff. I should probably
0: like skip to that section because I actually had a bunch of questions about that Okay, in particular. So it figures it's like on the last page. Of course. But to Um, your
1: point about the musicians working at the store, they're all very empowered now to work with the customers and to make sales and to form relationships and you know to give a percentage off or to give a free. Pack of strings. I mean, things that they would never would have been. My dad was a little controlling. Yeah, you know, they never would have been able to take ten percent off and throw in a free pack of strings. You would have had to write a formal letter to him to get that approved.
0: One of the signs of a really good manager is actually their ability to empower their people.
1: Right, right. If you you don't
0: trust your people, it's kind of yeah. It creates an awkward dynamic in the store. So that's really cool that you do that. Yeah. I'd like to ask you about like what your vision for the store was when you took it over. Because my memory is that it was just kind of like night and day. Like one day you took over the dog salon and the old sign shop. And then you had like the acoustic room. Like you took over the entire building.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, you know, and it's, I credit my mom for this as well, because it was in the first year, you know, even really the first six or eight months. And it was like, I didn't have a key until two days before he died. You know, I didn't know how to even get into the building. Okay. And so the, and we're learning the business. And in the middle of it, I said, we need to renovate the whole place. Right. And he had taken over that half of the building. Oh yeah. 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 He had done that like 10 years ago. Okay. But it was just sitting there as a warehouse, an empty space. And I said, it looks like. From the outside, that we're in a half vacant, it did strip mall. Yeah, because you know, it, it was paper on the windows, and I go, and we have thousands of square feet, and it's the front center of the building. Yeah, um, and it's going uh, utilized. So if we're not going to gain rent, which is what we were doing before, then. We need to make this space work for us one yeah. way or the other. And I had gone to Nam, and we had our great acoustics and they were right by the front door, which was ridiculous because, so the air is coming in hitting them. Yeah. The most expensive acoustics were right by his desk. They were, yeah. And I said, the acoustics, I realized there's two things that need to happen. We need an acoustic room and we need to have either Martin or Taylor in the store. If we're going to be considered a serious acoustic guitar dealer, right. you need to have Martin or Taylor and you need to have an acoustic room. So that was part of the renovation. And then the vision for the store was we, a couple different things. We needed to show people that we were serious about keeping it moving forward because what was Musicland without Joe Noto? Does it exist? Right. Can it exist? Yeah, that's good Um, that's What a good does point. it look like? Because when you walked in, you saw Joe. You almost didn't even go to Musicland. You went to see Joe. Yeah, you did. So what is the brand without, you know, and I know you alluded in the intro to my Walt Disney thing, right? Yes. So, you know, Walt Disney died just as they broke ground on Florida, the most aggressive, the largest private construction in America at that time. Yeah. And the company lost its leader and everyone looked at each other and go, well, what do we do? And it was actually the reason, I'll digress here for a second, but the reason why it's called Walt Disney World's, versus Disney Worlds and why Disneyland's called Disneyland which was named first okay. was because his brother came out of retirement and said we're going to build my brother's dream we're going to move forward we're going to build this cool. this uh, this thing this resort that he had dreamt of and we're going to call it Walt Disney World so people always know that this was my brother's vision which is where the idea for Joe Noto's Musicland came putting his name on it. it. And so- That's why I was asking what your vision was because you really took what he had started
0: like to another level, honestly.
1: Yeah, thank you. Well, so we understood that we had to show people we were serious, but then, you know, and Garth and I, we had lunch at uh, Humagallus, I remember, and and we were going over the logo. Mm. And I said, we need to make sure that this is a destination. The way you compete with Sweetwater and the way you compete with uh, Amazon and, and- Guitar Center is—you've got to make this a place. We're, we're one of the largest stores, you know, in an hour or so radius. I mean, you go down to Bill's or you go over to, over to yeah. uh, to Chuck Levin's, but if you go, you have to go to Philly really to get to the next big uh, store. You know, that's kind of wild if you. think It, about is, it. Crazy. Yeah. it is crazy, and it's crazy. So. We wanted to create a place that people would drive an hour, hour and a half to come to and create a destination. So part of that, the vision was to create a performance space where we could do concerts and demos and open mic nights. And that's where the idea for Musicland Live came through. So that's where we broke through that wall and expanded the store all the way to the left there.
0: Yeah. And you recently just won Business of the Year from the town of Bel Air. Yes, thank saw you. pictures with Barry Glassman. Yeah. And, you know, uh, so that's got to be really cool. It was awesome. But I wanted to kind of go back to the, the NAM awards in 2018. sure. If sure. anybody hasn't seen the YouTube video of you giving that speech, I mean, I don't know uh, how soon it had been at that point, but it's really uh, touching. To save you time, the Mouthful of Graffiti podcast was granted permission to share the official audio of Larry Noto's Nam acceptance speech for the Best Store Turnaround. And the winner in the category of Best Store Turnaround is Music Lands,
2: Bel Air, Maryland. Um, my father came over from Italy when he was 16 years old and was an accordion player. And he had a dream... And he built it from this small little store to this 8,000 square foot building that he ran morning, noon, and night for 50 years. And we lost him a year ago. And I quit my job. And I sat down and talked to the team and my repairman of 35 years, and I sat on my first week on the job was Nam. last summer. We were on that side of the rope. And... uh, The team and the community have done just an amazing job of doing things that none of them did. The ordering, the inventory, the pricing, my father did it all. And uh, I just want to say that it was a rep of mine, John Gallus, who said when I was deciding what to do, my career was in tourism marketing in Baltimore for the Inner Harbor. And he said, you know, there's this thing called NAM, and there's a trade show and there's lessons and there's classes. And uh, I said, my God, that's how I learned the tourism industry. And it looks like I'm about to learn another. And you guys, and Nam, and everyone in this room have been so welcoming and grateful. And a person who didn't know what a humbucker was 12 months ago. Um, so, thank you guys very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. Congratulations.
0: So, what was that experience for you like at Nam
1: at that point? Well, it was uh, it was unbelievable. I mean, yeah. it was a year. What happened was. We went to Nam. My, my dad passed away in May, of fifteen, and it was that July. July first was my last day at my other job at the at the National Aquarium, and uh, I have that. yeah, yeah. So July that first week after July fourth, it was like July sixth. Gary and I, Gary Linderborn, our repair guy, okay, we went out to Nam, and we went. You know, we would literally walk into booths and go, "I'm Larry Noto. Uh, my father has a store called Musicland. We have a relationship with you, but we have no idea what it looks like." Can you help us? Vendor after vendor after vendor. It was just like, wow. what does our relationship look like? What kind of turn? And they they were saying things to me. Brad, they were going like, oh, you get 30, 60, 90, uh, which is like how you pay it. You can pay it in 30, 60, 90 days. And they're like, you get end column pricing with an extra five, meaning like 5% off. I had no idea what <laughs> I, they're saying these things to me. I go, I humbuckers. Humbuckers. I like, go, oh my God. <laughs> so, anyways, so one of the things we did was go to the top 100 awards, and we were not nominated. We had never been nominated before now I always put a footnote. If my father had taken the time to submit us, I feel like we would have been in there, you know? Yeah. But I turned to Gary and I said, our goal is to get on that list one day. Yeah. And a year later, we were not only on the list, but we won the best store turnaround. We had just broken ground on the renovation. Just getting to breaking ground on it was a very tedious, long, very stressful process. The bank and the loan and the construction and the design and anyway so it was this wave of emotion you saw in the speech i could barely i can barely speak and i mean i just was holding back the tears and when i got backstage i just i called my mom i just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed it it was just this combination of of um of this path we had been on that that you know everything was everything was going to be okay
0: yeah you know you know he's got to be incredibly proud of you at this point thank you I mean, he's got to be. It's like watching his dream materialize in a way that he wasn't able to get it to that point. Yeah. Yeah, that's really cool. So as a dreamer yourself, are you the type of dreamer that's constantly kind of like moving the goalposts for yourself? Because that's how I am. Yeah. It's like I I accomplish a dream, and then it's like, well, that's not good enough. Because when I look back at your background, it's like, we're going to get into all the things you do, but you've been an author. If you've done comedy, you're in a band now, you're running the store. You're kind of a renaissance man. Oh, well,
1: thank you. <clears throat> do you see yourself that way or? I, I think that, um, you know, I, I, yeah, you always have to, you know, one of the themes in the book is to actually kind of make sure that you take time to appreciate what you have done and what you've accomplished versus what you haven't. So I definitely beat myself up sometimes in terms of I haven't done this or I haven't done that or I haven't accomplished that. We all or do. We that. Could have done this, yeah. you know, so I have to remember to. You know kind of proud of and- yeah and and be okay with where we are but at the same time not to get too lazy as to not keep moving it forward i mean we have so many ideas for music land like oh we want to do a recording studio we want to create a record label we want to do all these you know what i mean these are all great ideas right. you know there's a book that we're we we are 90 percent done about the 50th anniversary we want to do an outsourced concert for our 50th anniversary we want to create a nonprofit, uh, a philanthropic side of Musicland. So there's all these things. Then sometimes it's like I can't even get the bills written. It's like so we're so busy. <laughs> right. So sometimes it's like, okay, well, let's take a step back and make sure that we're running the, running the store properly and uh, efficiently and making sure we're ordering right. Make sure we don't run out of ukuleles before I go create a nonprofit <laughs> and I, I create a whole nother set of things for me.
0: This is totally random, but yeah. th- there was a building. Uh, it was an old bank across from Harford Mall. Okay. I don't know if you remember it. It just sat there forever and ever and ever. It was just this rundown kind of thing that would really not be good for anything but a recording studio because it only had like four parking spots. And I always thought that would be such a cool place. And I'm not sure. They've torn down so many of those buildings on Tollgate. I'm not even sure if it's there anymore. Right, right. But do you have any, like, ideas, like, of locations, or is this just kind of spitballing? Well, we have in... the
1: classroom, yeah. which we are is underutilized, so we've thought about turning that into a recording studio.
0: So where's the classroom within the, the That's shop? That's next
1: to Musicland Live, where the symbols are. Like, okay. So if you're looking at the stage, you would go down that hallway, and there's a classroom that can hold about, like, 35 people. I didn't know that. Yeah, we do, like, group ukulele lessons. The idea was to do group lessons okay, so it's at, like, a rental, or... summer camps and things like that. We just haven't done it.
0: So, what is your greatest memory in the store so far? That is a tough question.
1: Um, well, you've had—I'm sure you've had a lot of guests coming. Like you had Paul Reed Smith. Yeah, Paul Reed Smith was was, was pretty cool. a special night. I think you know the things that my father would get the biggest kick out of is like at open mic night when there's like this little eight year old kid that gets up there and plays like he and it is good. You know, my father would get the biggest kick out of that. I think he would have been honored about Paul Reed Smith and oh, yeah. and having even guys like Shea Welsh who he loved and Carl Philippiak, who he loved, having them play there and things like that. So I know that he would get a kick out of that. For me, it's been, I'll give you an example of, you know, you get these, I knew your father, everyone, you know, I knew your father. Yeah. Um, but one of the best ones was this guy comes in and goes, you know, I'm in my office. This guy wants to talk to you, knew your father. Okay, okay, here we go. You know, you right. know what I mean? Right. Okay. So, um, I mean like, cause you understand, like we would go to Disney World on vacation and we'd be like walking around Main Street and hear, hey Joe, he would be a customer. Oh, that's cool. Oh, my God. We couldn't go anywhere. Yeah, because I guess he would be in contact with so many people. So many people. And then, yeah. you know, so I'll, I'll tell you two quick stories. Uh, t- tell them. Here's a Joe nota story uh, of his reach. We're on top of the Arc de Triomphe in Paris, a friend of uh, my girlfriend and I at the time. And we run into these two businessmen to like, exchange, like, take our picture with the Eiffel Tower in the background right. and all that. And he says, oh, we're from Maryland. Originally from Maryland. I go, oh, really? Is it we're from um uh, he goes, from Baltimore. He goes, well, we're, we're from a town called Falston. I said, we're from Bel Air. He goes, oh my gosh. I said, do you ever hear of Musicland? He goes, yeah, we rented my son's clarinet there. I was like, <laughs> we ran into a customer Classic. in Paris, right? But the story about uh, one of my best memories is a guy comes into the store and he says, uh, my name is um, Tony Moscato and I taught your father how to speak English. Oh, And he was his classmate in one of his first- like schools when my father came over from Italy and the brother, you know, the, 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 not the pre, you know, the brother said, um, this is Giuseppe Noto from Italy, teach him English. And he was his classmate and he taught him how to speak English.
0: He always spoke English very well. Yeah, so. a little
1: broken. He had a Tony little Moscato bit of, did a good job. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He uh, is a little broken
0: English. So I was just thinking about this for a second because we were talking about Paul Reed Smith and it started like triggering my mind. Like I got a Paul Reed Smith over there. Yeah. But then I was like, wait a second. That Gibson on the far left was the first guitar that I'm proud of that I bought from Musicland. Oh, okay. My very first one was like a Harmony or something just atrocious, you know, something like, you know, Donald Duck might play or something like that. (laughs) And then I had an Ibanez, which was really cool. And Dave Pace is probably still mad that I got rid of it. But yeah, I got that guitar from Joe. And that was back in, like,
1: 1995. I was just going to say that had to be a while ago because, you know, we haven't been a Gibson dealer for a while. We're, a, we're an Epiphone dealer now. But Gibson, you know, changed the rules and got a little uh, – Greedy didn't, a little bit. Greedy, like, yeah, yeah. You have
0: to sell a certain amount or – Yeah,
1: and really uh, put a the boot to, to local shops and and decided they just wanted to do business with the big boys. And, of course, they went bankrupt. So, uh, But anyways, uh, so, yeah, we haven't had Gibson for a while. Well, that... And now you can't even you can't they won't even take a new dealer for the next 2 years because of the supply oh, issue. Wow. Same thing with Fender like, you know, like they're not signing anyone new up because they they don't have the guitars to give to the dealers they have, so why would they open up new dealers? Eventually we'd love to get Gibson and Taylor and if we can afford it and um kind of dipped the toe into the Gibson pond a little bit. And they were like, yeah, it's going to be 2023 at least before we, we look at any new dealers. Wow. So we're glad at least we got Epiphone when we did.
0: Well, that, that guitar has seen at least 400 shows. Ah, it's great. It's gorgeous. And, well, it was. It wasn't always spray painted. What happened was I had put stickers all over it. Yeah. And then I went to take them off. And for whatever reason, I, I grabbed a fingernail polish remover instead of lighter fluid. <laughs> and I just took the paint right off. And I was oh, like, well, gosh. that looks terrible. But at the time, you know. It just kind of made sense. So I spray painted it and everybody like sees the guitar and like, oh, that guitar is so cool. It's like, it's not really that cool at this point. (laughs) I spray painted that. (laughs) So anyway, you were saying that before Musicland, before you you got in there and took over the shop, um, you were the director of communications and marketing at the National Aquarium.
1: That was this pre or post SEALs. Uh, uh, Post-Seals Yeah Okay Because I'm a thr- huge Seal fan Yeah, yeah, yeah Yeah, no, I know That was, guys, the Seals you know I can't that. remember in the Seals I didn't know that um, The Seals, I don't know when they left But that was before my time Yeah and I think uh, the Seals left When they did the expansion For Australia Well, I think for th- Australia. people were throwing
0: pennies in uh... Yeah, is that <laughs> Like, they were making
1: wishes I think and... Schaefer just kept showing up And yeah, uh, kept sw- swimming in there But uh... <laughs> Right
0: <laughs> That's funny So, and you were a graduate From Loyola College mm-hmm. Yeah Um, and you got your bachelor's degree in the same thing. I got mine in, which was mass communications journalism major. Okay, cool. Which you were actually able to find a career in marketing, as where I languished in like these brutal sales jobs. Oh my gosh! Yeah, like six, seven years at the Baltimore Sun. It was like Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. It was (laughs) the leads
1: always be closing. Coffee (laughs) is for closers.
0: But anyway, you had
1: to have some business savvy getting into this. Yeah, I mean, it's been a nice mix because I have uh, you know exposure to some business stuff, particularly what I worked for, I was a director of marketing for a hotel group for about 10 years and I would sit in on the, you know, just like in the hotels, I couldn't, I couldn't check you in, I couldn't sell you a wedding, I couldn't do anything hotel related, but I knew marketing and I knew the city. My whole career was in it was in tourism marketing. I worked for the Office of Tourism first. Okay, uh, for, it's about. called Visit Baltimore, and my job was to promote the city to travel writers. So if if the, if Southern Living Magazine wanted to write a travel story on Baltimore, right, I would be the one to pitch them and show them around, or I'd go up to the New York Times and try to pitch them on a story. Um, and actually that's why I was in Europe was I, I was meeting with international travel writers, so travel book writers and things like that. That's really cool. It was the coolest job. I mean, when you're 23- you, you had can to be even... kind of
0: overwhelmed by that too. Yeah, it, was,
1: you know, it was phenomenal because you, you, you saw the eyes of the city through people who loved it and didn't watch the local news. Right. And my story with Baltimore is a very complicated story. It was a love affair that ended sort of tragically with the Freddie Gray riots. Okay. Because um, my whole career was telling people Particularly, I always lived in in Bel Air, yeah. where and you live in Bel Air, and you go, I'm never going to go to the city because I'll get murdered. Which I now probably am one of those people that like would think twice about going into ball. Which is, uh, I hate myself for saying that because I was always the guy that was trying to change that Your narrative. Job was, yeah, change that narrative. This is a good city with great restaurants and museums because I get to go it to is. all the museums and all the shows and the and all the restaurants and 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 like be a tourist in my own town. You know, and so it's a great city, but it's gotten worse. And it's and so the night of the Freddie Gray was the day my father changed the name from Musicland to Joe. It was the final weeks of his life. And it really was like him saying goodbye to his life work and turning it into Joe Knows Musicland and turning it into a corporation. And like these were now with the lawyer. And that day I left Baltimore early to be in that meeting with the lawyer and my dad and my mom. So here's my dad saying goodbye to his life's work. And then I go home and the city is on fire, you know? And I remember that. Yeah. Are, yeah, it's a horrible- It was scary, yeah. Horrible night that set the, set the city back decades in terms of PR and image and safety. Uh, and it was really, I said goodbye to my life's work that night yeah. and I, I think that was the night in my gut I knew I was gonna take over the store. Even though I I didn't verbalize, I I didn't verbalize. Yeah, in a a sense. No, no, it was like this. This not to get like preordained or yeah, it was a sign from God. Like God put me with my family on that day. Any other day, I'd be downtown. Yeah, but that day, I was with my family. That's wild. And I said to myself, "This is uh, this is the sign that I needed to leave my to leave my career and take this next step." you and your dad always had
0: a really good marketing sense and how to actually promote the business itself yeah I mean just I mean obviously I'm biased but the fact that you're doing this show shows that you are caring about the pulse of the local musicians because those are the people that are going to be coming into the shop but that brings me to your podcast you have Musicland in a Lincoln yeah which yes. is kind of
1: like a coffee and cars yeah it was a total rip off of comedians and cars getting coffee
0: but what was the what was the impetus for doing that for one thank you so much for thank you you me. were
1: great I mean I now uh, people love the episode i do better on that side i feel like i was like no, you're doing great what are you talking about this is I, I great know. this is a huge success congratulations on your <laughs> and you know all, everything that you're doing to promote local Thank musicians you. and everything
0: i get a little nervous sometimes though there are times when i get a little bit like okay I don't want to mess this one up. You no. know? <laughs> so I appreciate that. So you started filming the episodes. You've had Mr. Welsh, Shay Welsh on yep. there. You've mm-hmm. had myself. Uh Who are the other two?
1: Mike Newberry was the first That's one. That's right. Newberry. Okay. And then we had Jeff Mullen, who is uh from Sons of Pirates, who is also our rep for like Shore and Godan and Seagull Guitars. <clears throat> and we thought it'd be fun to have him on. And he was actually great. And... Um, I think our next one is going to be Sheldon Bear, the um, founder of the Susquehanna Symphony Orchestra. Okay. We've got a long list of people. We're trying to do one a month. Yeah. You know, the idea, we had the idea for, again, one of these things, like this idea we've had for like five years. Yeah. It's, you it's know? cool. Um, and it was going to be music land in a van. And the idea was going to, we would pick up guys, like maybe pick up like Spike Settle, you know, Spike or somebody. Right. And then and have everyone jam in the van, have this big van like the Muppets or something, you know. And um and then my uncle, my great uncle, my father, my, my mother's uncle left us, this, left me this uh, Lincoln uh, town car, 1990 Lincoln okay. town car when he passed. And we're like, music land in a Lincoln. We got to use the Lincoln. I don't know. So it just kind of came together that, again, something that it didn't, it never got off the ground. And then the Lincoln was the impetus. And then we went to film it and then the Lincoln wouldn't start. Right. Yeah.
0: And the air <laughs> so, conditioning, of course, yeah, the is the a little bit suspect. does not but... work.
1: Yes, exactly. As
0: you experienced <laughs> firsthand. So do you listen to podcasts regularly? I mean, are are there any podcasts like
1: Joe Rogan or... I should, but I don't. I'm terrible. I'm at the desk all day and I should be listening to it, but I'm usually up and down and in and out and... uh on calls, so I don't really get to. Unfortunately,
0: I'm the same way. Like I do a lot of things that I don't actually like take part in. Like I wrote books, and I would do these book signings, and people would be like, "Who are some of your favorite authors?" I'm like, "I don't like to read." <laughs> like, what do you mean you like to read? I'm like, I like to write. I don't like to read.
1: I know you just did that author event at the Armory, right. right? Yeah, that's awesome. So I,
0: I don't, I don't even like bat an eye at that question anymore because at first I was like, well, you know, I like. um well, C.S. Lewis, and I love well Jesus's work in the Bible is fantastic. Yeah, his you know good what? Stuff. I don't read. That's yeah, that's where yeah, we're at with yeah. it. Yeah,
1: he never had a great follow up book though. And Jesus. I don't listen to podcasts. I'm over here doing a podcast. I don't do them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, well, when you're busy, you know, it's funny though. But um, you know, Ralphie May, the comedian Ralphie May, a uh, real big guy that was on Last Comic Standing, possibly. Uh, yeah. Anyway, I, I remember he told me once. He said, um, "For creative people, he goes every minute you spend." watching somebody else's work is a minute you're not working on your own. Right. And I was like, wow, that's really pretty deep there because you you really need to dedicate every minute you can to your own craft.
0: Did you get your Spotify wrap-up today by chance? No. Okay, so if you have Spotify, you might have gotten like an email about your wrap up of, of the, the bands that you listen to the most this year. Okay. Well, mine is exactly the same as it was when I did an interview back in like 1995 for my school paper. Oh, it's wow. the same bands. Wow. The reality is I really don't listen to that much music either. I've got 21 albums. I, I, I don't really listen to music. Wow. Yeah. So I, I'm not reading books. I'm not listening <laughs> what are you to podcasts. Are you doing?
1: <laughs> right. What are you doing with your life? Just
0: nothing but like my own creative things, I suppose. Yeah, well, but- that's good though you're an artist so for the the music land in the lincoln how could people get involved or is it kind of one of those don't call me i'll call you type things i I don't want you to get bombarded no no no. if
1: they if they they can just reach out to me on facebook or email and and um say they want to be on there and we'll you know we've got a list of people that we want to work with but and i also write this column for um Hartford uh, Heart Magazine, and um, we feature a local musician. And we do like four or five, and I'm always looking for ideas for that. So yeah. please reach out because I'm always looking for ideas.
0: That's really awesome. Actually, that was really, really cool to see myself in there. I, we did that today. Oh, yeah yeah, 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 yeah.
1: I've given um, you a
0: lot of press. My God. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I
1: don't
0: know how I leave the front door yeah, anymore. Oh, my
1: gosh, exactly. How can you stand the paparazzi?
0: So the show Music Land in Lincoln has been a huge success. I, I followed it anybody you want to give a shout out to who's
1: helped put this together with you or uh, Ryan Depto is the is okay. uh is the filmer and the editor and he does an amazing job what most people don't know is he's lying in the uh the back seat of the Lincoln on the floor <laughs> right. with his mixer and his laptop and the mics and everything uh doing the audio for it while we're while we're driving around to, to, but he's he's been a great, great my album.
0: highlight was actually squeezing that full-size full-bodied <laughs> acoustic guitar into the Lincoln trying to like play the song It yeah, sounded great No, it was it was was Has the first song
1: come out? Is it or is that December? What's that? The single on your new album. Was oh, that actually, e- that
0: particular. There's three EPs coming out. There's right. an EP coming out every month, and that EP comes out 12 12. 12 12. Okay. But that I wasn't song, sure if it
1: was 12 12 or 11 11. Okay. The song
0: that I played is actually on that disc that's right there to your right. See it? Yeah. The Charm City sampler. So nice. I'll give you one before you leave, and you can ah, check out you. the real version of the song. But thank um, you. anyway, I want to talk about your comedy. Okay. You brought me a, a killer book here. <laughs> you haven't so, read it
1: yet, so you don't know. Well,
0: I don't, but I'm assuming that it's.
1: <laughs> but it looks killer.
0: Uh, yeah. So um I was actually going to
1: ask is the book autobiographical or is it just comedy bit? It's both. So the okay. like it, it the chapters alternate. So there'll be a chapter that's just a comedy bit, um like stuff from my stand up that that just in, in written form and then the next chapter is a narrative. Okay, And then it goes comedy narrative, comedy narrative. We talked pre-podcast a little bit about Brad Garrett yeah, and there's a really cool
0: story that goes with the book.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably one of the coolest things that's ever happened to me was so Brad Garrett. Everybody <laughs> loves Raymond. I got the opportunity to open for him down at Ramshead in Annapolis. That's awesome. So it's amazing, right? And it's so funny because you know you. I worked I've been very, very, very lucky to work with like a lot of big name comedians, right? And you, and you and you you want that moment where they're like, you're funny kid, come on tour with me and I'll make you famous. Ah, you know, I don't know why they talk that way, but they do. And uh, (laughs) I'm trying to think of that
0: impersonation reminds me of.
1: (laughs) It was probably a little John Lovitz, maybe a little, a little bit, a little bit. Yeah. But, uh, um, I worked with John Lovitz and I came back, And um, in between the shows, and I was like, oh, I was like, oh, man, you did a great job. And he goes, jealous? (laughs) I was like, oh, my God, John Love is just And then I was talking to him, and he's like, why are you talking like me to me? I was like, I don't know. Right. Yeah. So anyways, um, I'm driving down, and I said to myself, just, this is one of those moments, just enjoy working for Brad Garrett. Right. Just enjoy tonight. This is a childhood dream, is one of your favorite actors, and just take it in, and don't think about anything else but tonight and absorb it and enjoy it and be grateful for it and so in between the two shows he comes up to me we're in the green room together and he goes you're really funny and i was like and i just thought he was being nice right and he goes no no i'm serious he goes i have a club in las vegas i go i know it's in the tropicana right on the right on the strip he goes um why don't you come do a week a week in vegas I go, oh, my God. He goes, when are you available? I go, whenever you want me to be. What what the hell are you talking about? Cancel my uh, (laughs) my, my whatever. Uh, I'll be there wherever you want me to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next day, his manager, he he, uh, reached out. His manager emailed me and said, when are you available? And I said, I'm pretty much open for you. And then it was like months before I heard from them again. Okay. I was like, oh, every day I would just refresh my email, just refresh, 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 just waiting for this email. And then it was a Labor Day weekend, and then I did a week in Las Vegas. That's incredible. Yeah, it was incredible. I would hope you got paid for these shows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you broke even by the time I can't remember right. if they they probably paid for your room and board, but not your flight. And then you know you're in Vegas for a week, and you know that was a really. Imp- I talk about this in the book, and it's kind of a theme of the book about if I was a real comedian. My life would be on the road, living in right. hotels. It's a very lonely life. And the thing about Vegas was every night of the week, I had somebody from some part of my life in the audience. My family flew out. Friends flew out. Friends from California flew yeah. out. My friend from Florida flew out. Was your dad there? My dad did not go. I uh, can't get him to leave Musicland. And I can't remember if he was – sick then or not
2: but um
1: he did not go but my mom and my cousins from pennsylvania i had friends in vegas that came you know so there was every night i would have drinks or dinner before after the show so i wasn't this like alone comedian with no life you're in vegas and i'm in vegas and and um but my point was is that the show was awesome but i realized what was really awesome was that i had a life full of people to share it with and i don't know if you get that as a touring comedian you know what i mean you're it's a very lonely life so Part of the book is talking about how it's certainly a dream and certainly you think about, you know, I'd love to get the sitcom and all that. Right. I was working in New York once and um, it's called a bringer show where you, if you bring 10 people, you get time, you know, and um, but you never know who's going to be in the audience. And it was a Monday night and Tuesday I get a call and it's CBS primetime casting. And they were in the audience the night before and they said, we liked what we saw. We want you to come. We're going to send you a script for a sitcom and we're going to come in Friday and we're going to put you on video. What? And it's literally nothing nothing but you read for them and they put the video and they put it on a shelf like just in case. And literally nothing ever happened from it. But I'm like sitting in the waiting room. You would room, be great at that. Uh, I mean, of course, you know, your mind goes. Yeah, you are, uh, you're already be, famous. I'm, and, yeah. I'm famous. They're going to ask about my life. There's going to be a sitcom about, you know, my life. Everybody loves Larry. You know, it's going to be great.
0: <laughs> right. Everybody <laughs> loves know, Larry. <laughs> (laughs) Between the store and the comedy, you've got to meet John Lovitz, Brad Garrett, Norm Macdonald, rest in peace. Yeah. Who else have you gotten to meet? Uh, And were they your influences, or were there other guys like that were like Seinfeld or like you know comedians that you were really drawn to?
1: Yeah, uh, like some of my biggest influences, like Seinfeld or Woody Allen or Larry David. I've not met them. Okay. You know Mel Brooks, those kind of guys. Um. But you know, I have a funny Seinfeld story. Oh, do you really?
0: Well, I'll just tell you real quick. So I was working at Tower Records in 1996 out in Hollywood. Oh. Wow. Okay, And this guy, it was Seinfeld. He comes up and he's wearing like a big kind of a tan trench jacket. And I was like, my sister loves Seinfeld. I got to get his autograph. So I take a piece of receipt tape. I'm like, hey, do you mind signing this? Well, he kind of scribbles something and kind of hands it back. He's like, yeah, there you go. So anyway, he starts walking away. I looked at the guy that was doing the, the register next to me. I was like, that Seinfeld's an yeah. a, you know? <laughs> and he heard me. Oh, no. And he looked back and he's like, Brad, he, he's got a cast on. That's why he scribbled it. That's why he's wearing the trench coat. Oh, wow. I was like, oh,
1: I'm the. So, anyway, that's my sidebelt story. I don't think he's the nicest person in the world. I don't think he loves autographs and things like that. And I've gotten that impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, so. Richard Lewis is a huge fan of my, I I mean, I'm, I'm a huge fan of his and uh, I got to work with him and that's, that's a great story in the book. Um, the quick, quick version is, um, do you want to hear it? So the week I get booked to work for Richard Lewis was, this was back in the improv days and (laughs) I'm like going to meet my hero. He works on Curb Your Enthusiasm. I read his book. I'm like this, we're going to become best, best friends. So The last time I saw Richard Lewis perform before this, there was a guy that opened for him that was this, like, tall Jewish version of me. And he's doing, like, stories about his family and his grandmother. and. He introduces Richard Lewis, and Richard Lewis comes on, and Richard Lewis says, how about a hand for that guy? That kid's going to be a star one day. I go, I got to get on that stage. I got to get on that stage, and I got to work with Richard Lewis one day because I was just in the audience. Yeah. So the week before I'm working for Richard Lewis, I get called at the last minute to come into the improv to do a show because the guy from Police Academy canceled. So they moved everybody up. Which guy? Michael Winslow, the guy Uh, who does the sound effects, right? I love him. Yeah. So I'm in the green room. I start looking at this guy, and he's a tall Jewish kid. And I realize it's the kid I saw open for Richard Lewis. I go, I saw you open for Richard Lewis. He goes, this is like your story. He goes, Richard Lewis is an <laughs> asshole. I go, what? Oh my God. He goes, I was so excited I was going to work with him. Uh, I read his book. I, I thought we were going to be best friends. Everything that I thought, you know. He goes, um, I never met him. I go, what do you mean? He goes, he's so neurotic. He goes back to the hotel room in between shows. I never, I go, but I saw you. He goes, what you saw when he shook my hand on stage is the only interaction I had with him all weekend long.
0: That goes back to what you are saying about it being like a lonely lifestyle. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So
1: I'm devastated now because I'm going to get so close to meet, and I'm in the manager's office and I'm like down at the dumps. The manager goes, I got an idea. Why don't you drive Richard Lewis back and forth? I go, how is this going to work? So this is what we did. I went up and started the show because I was just the first guy back then. So I did my 10 minutes. And then I brought in the middle guy who does 25 minutes. In those 25 minutes, I would run in the alley in Power Plant Live, drive to the Hyatt, pick up Richard Lewis, drive him back, signal them. They'd like the comedian. I'd go up and introduce Richard Lewis, drive him back, drive him back, back, all weekend long. But I had friggin' Richard Lewis in my car. That's amazing. So we talked. We laughed. I said something. He made me laugh. He goes, you're really funny. I was like, that's like Babe Ruth telling me I got a good swing. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, so it's in the it's in the uh, that story is a longer story than that, but it's in the book, it's one of my favorite stories.
0: I mean, you would blow away one of these local artists that gets in the Lincoln if you actually had somebody like Richard Lewis there with you. It was like really like a comedy kind of show in the car. Yeah. <laughs> Richard Lewis was one of my favorite Police Academy guys. I loved him. He was hilarious.
1: Was he in Police Academy? Is that in- I think who are you thinking of? Richard Lewis was the neurotic guy that like always touched oh. his forehead, was always wearing black. Yeah, I thought he was a sound effects guy. No, that's Michael Winslow. Okay. Yeah, 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 Michael Winslow. Yeah, I, I learned how to do a helicopter from him. Oh, right. <laughs> 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 I work with Bobcat uh, Goldway. speaking of uh, police You Academy. did? Yeah. Really smart, smart guy. Wow. Yeah. yeah does he, does he, all, he always like, talk like that? No, or? he comes out and he does it for a second and he goes, uh, I, I don't talk that way. <laughs> <laughs> right. But I think Gilbert
0: Godfrey actually does talk. Yeah, that no, night. I think Gilbert does. Yeah. that's like his natural voice. <laughs> right. I remember the up all night with Gilbert Godfrey. So anyway, you're doing this comedy. Do you have any bits that you could share with us?
1: <laughs> uh, which do you have any? The I don't, you know, I don't typically do the one that
0: I saw on bits. YouTube was the uh, it was the wedding funeral bit, okay. and I, I love it. It's hilarious. And there's probably a lot of people who have never heard it. So okay. I was just curious if you try to give it to us. All
1: right, I'll do it for you. All I right. don't normally, but I'll do it for you. All right. I uh, let me see if I can remember. <laughs> it was one of the first ones I ever wrote, too. It's, it's hilarious, and it's so true. Yeah. So the idea is that I got this big Italian family, but you only see your relatives at two occasions, right? You see them at weddings, and you see them at funerals, right? And right. what I realize is you have the exact same stupid, pointless, bullshit conversations with your relatives, whether it's a wedding or a funeral. Right. Only the tone of the conversation changes. Right. So you see your uncle at a wedding, and he's like, hey, how you doing? Huh? How you doing? You doing all right? You doing okay? Hey, how about this? This is unbelievable. Isn't it unbelievable? Oh, she looks good, don't you? She looks good. That's at a wedding. You see the same relative six months later at her funeral. Hey, how you doing? Huh? How you doing? You doing okay? You doing all right? How about this? This is unbelievable, isn't it? Right. Unbelievable. She looks good, don't she? She looks good. <laughs> That's it. There you go. I love it. It is so I, accurate. I had a friend say that he was at a funeral and somebody came up and started saying those things word for word. And he goes, Larry, I honestly thought they were just fans of yours and were doing the bit to me because it was word for word, the <laughs> bit. And I almost started laughing in their face, <laughs> but they were serious.
0: The, I know there's people out there that are trying to get into the game of comedy. Yeah. How much are you basically practicing your
1: parts in the mirror before you actually ever walk out onto that stage? Well, you know, when you first – I mean the – the the when you first start out, you know, open mic nights, uh, you've got to just do them. And you just got to do it Suffer and do it, it and do it and do it and do it. And there is something that happens eventually where you get a little bit more confident and you get a little bit more confident and uh, comfortable yeah, and natural. Okay. For me – the act hasn't changed that much. So for me, I'm trying to practice to remember the damn jokes right. and the order that they go. And particularly if the change – like you know, I can do 25 minutes, but then like when I was at the State Theater, and I had to do like 45 minutes or so. So I'm throwing everything in there. I have to remember not to skip anything. That's my biggest fear is skipping a joke and cutting the time or jumping ahead into a uh, – because yeah. my act kind of follows an arc a little bit and so one joke leads to the other. So if I mess something up, I can't go back. I can't believe oh, I remember when I was talking about my family 10 minutes ago, now <laughs> right. that we're talking about TV shows.
0: So you are still performing that
1: A little bit. Yeah. I don't do it a lot, a ton. I
0: really, really want to catch a, a show. Well, you got to come out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Well, so when are you- when are No, you... I have nothing.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> read the book. <laughs> Fair enough. I'll read the book to you. Call me- uh, uh, call me saturday night and i'll just i'll just read it
0: to so you. speaking of comedy we always do a fun like question section of the the okay. podcast so i mentioned disney earlier
1: yeah who was your favorite disney character and why and i'll tell you mine as well all right it's very that's an it's a very tough question i mean i guess you got to go with mickey mouse because he's the original um yeah. but you know i love the genie from aladdin um mm-hmm. uh, Woody from Toy Story, but the genie from the Aladdin from, is probably one of my favorites.
0: For me, it's Figment. Oh, wow. He's okay, cute, yeah. and he he's all about creativity. Yeah, and
2: that's a I was great a one. I just kid,
0: I just, I just loved it. I just wanted Figments everywhere. Yeah. And, no. and Epcot back then kind of sucked. Yeah. It, like, Epcot's where you went to learn. There was like the, <laughs> the dinosaur park thing, <laughs> yes. and there was the big... Well, I guess Epcot itself was like
1: a, a science exhibit, right? Well, yeah. I mean, what it was supposed yeah. to be was an actual town. That was – Walt's vision was it's the experimental prototype community of tomorrow. That's what Epcot stands for. And it was actually supposed to be a working city where the (laughs) leaders of an industry were going to come – And like all about the celebration of American innovation, where people would live there and would be the model for transportation and for industry. And it wasn't supposed to be a theme park. It was supposed to be he was going to build like the great American city and show other American cities like this is how we solve the problems of traffic and congestion and people moving and things like that. So he died, yeah, and you know it went out the window.
0: But it's. It's much cooler today than it was back in the 80s. Yeah. No, it's
1: got uh, – It's got rides. You got to drink around the world. Yeah, and... yeah, yeah. Yeah. And the new Guardians of the Galaxy ride is coming next year. Did you see their new documentary on the Beatles? I watched the first part. I was mesmerized. Yeah. It's mind-blowing. To sit there and watch them create these iconic songs. Where did at, they get all a, this footage from? Well, they, so they were filming that documentary that was going to be part of the special. Yeah. It was apparently 150 hours of footage. Oh, my God. And he's wheedled it down to six hours. But what a raw look at talent, right? And the reality of what it is to be in a band. Right. Exactly. And the personalities and the clashes and the frustration. And, oh, my God, I just thought it was great.
0: I had a band running for about, well, 19 years. And the only reason it stopped is we just got older and time took it apart. But we had one guy in the band, he challenged me all the time. He was the paralysis by analysis guy. He was always wanted to plan. Right. And I was the free spirit, the dreamer guy, just, let's just do it. Right. We'll just see what happens. And I think it was the combination of our two personalities that actually made it sustain for as long as it did. You needed that, and you saw that in the Beatles documentary. Yeah, right, with Paul. George really. is just trying to keep the yeah. train on the tracks, like, yeah. guys.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, Paul was very much the analytical one, wanting to yeah. analyze everything and be yeah. methodical about it and
0: and Lennon just wanted to write the songs yeah. and
1: poor Ringo's just sitting there trying to drum. I heard but,
0: they're Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say I heard they're actually doing a documentary on one of my favorite bands growing up the Sex Pistols. Oh, wow. So for Disney to be tackling that uh, my point to that was that Disney has definitely changed its image since we were kids. When we were kids it was strictly family entertainment. That mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. And now they're branched out and they're covering the Beatles, they're covering the Pistols. It's Do you like the evolution yeah. of them being kind of a one-stop shop for entertainment?
1: Yeah, I think that they're they're still you know, I think they struggle like with um didn't they take over uh when they took over Marvel they got Deadpool, which I think is a yeah, is that's a, real risky for them. Is a is an interesting um, yeah. what do you call it? I IPM or uh, intellectual property, um uh for them. But um or IP rather. But um yeah, so I think that I think that they're still, you know, they're not gonna go too crazy on things. They got rid of Miramax and some of the edgier movies that they were making and they're really about they're really about uh franchise uh ips that they can turn into toys and movies and Mm -hmm. you know there's a lot the new ceo is getting a lot of flack for being making a lot of like decisions that are anti-magic and pro-money, you know, like this whole you have to pay for fast passes now where they were free. You have to pay, you can pay to get into onto a ride faster. Yeah. Now, um so it's it's an interesting time for them and uh hopefully they hopefully the creativity doesn't get squashed because Bob Iger was a great businessman, but he he did some great creative things by, you know, getting Lucasfilm and getting Marvel yeah. and Getting all these franchises in there and getting all the uh, the intellectual properties under the Disney umbrella and Pixar save Pixar because Pixar was a dead deal they were leaving really uh, yeah oh the um uh, what's his name uh, Michael Eisner and Steve Jobs had a huge falling out and the the deal was over their their contract was over. But Disney controlled Toy Story and the characters, so Disney was going to actually make the next Toy Story movie without Pixar, which is like making a movie of your babies without the parents. Yeah. You know? Right. And um, (laughs) one of the first things Bob Iger did was call Steve Jobs and say, let's try to fix this. Pixar belongs with Disney. It does. And um, they ended up buying them. They bought them out for billions of dollars. So now they got the Muppets – they had the Muppets, yeah. They bought the Muppets, yeah. See, I was a Muppets guy. I'm a, I'm a huge Muppets guy. They're fantastic. I just watched the Muppets Christmas Carol. So good.
0: I think that's probably the best
1: one. I it mean, it is so
0: good. I love Scrooge.
1: Yeah, oh, Scrooge
0: is great. It's apples and oranges, really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, favorite Disney movie, '80s or '90s, like Honey,
1: I Shrunk the Kids, Little Mermaid, Nightmare Before Christmas, Hocus Pocus. I love Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay, it's one of my top ten films. Um, I'd have to put you know Toy Story and Up and Ratatouille in there. And Aladdin, you know those were. I mean, Ratatouille. Oh yeah, I love Ratatouille. Yeah, yeah, I I do love them. But I mean, um, you know, growing up, I remember seeing Beauty and the Beast and The Lion King, and you know that that. At Tollgate Movie Theater, remember that?
0: Yeah, I do. There's a part of me – okay, so this is the weird thing about Tollgate Mall in general. Right. There was that middle section. There was like trees growing out of the middle of it. Right. There was the the arcade in there, and my mind still believes that somewhere in the middle of that shopping center that's now Michael's and all these other things – that there's a Carvel Cake place in there and there's a replay arcade. <laughs> like there's some remnants of that yeah, old right. building. Yeah. But it's not there anymore. No, no. But yeah, I do remember it. What's your favorite Disney movie? Oh God. It would probably be it would probably be Nightmare Before Christmas as well. Yeah. Yeah. The and music is so good. Yeah.
1: The music is just great.
0: Uh, and then, of course, all the films that they did do with Pixar, like Wall-E.
1: Yeah, you did say '80s and yeah, Wall-E is great. Uh, I You said love '80s Wally. and '90s, so I would go. I had to pick a, I would say Aladdin. Yeah, wall basically a, a baby short circuit. Yeah, he's the adorable. first half hour of Wall-E is is genius. Yeah, it's it's really. Great. I never thought same. I'd cry at a robot movie. I know. How about Up? My God, the abortion. I haven't scene seen it. Movie. Oh, You haven't seen the Up? No. Oh, it's a great. You know, particularly the first ten minutes is is. Uh, it's just it's just it's a great film. It's gorgeous.
0: So you're a huge Disney fan. what, what is it about Disney that resonates with you?
1: Yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. And it's there's a couple of different things. First of all, this idea that the, all this creative energy goes into some place that everybody can enjoy, no matter what your background is, a place that family, you know, that was the story that Walt was sitting on a bench and his girls were on a merry-go-round, and he said there should be a place where families can do things together you know, and it was the one place my father would go on vacation. So I'm sure that had a lot to do with it, growing up, going there, that was very much my, our families, our families, like some families go to Ocean City and we would do that. But my dad would go to Disney every two years. And then eventually every year he would take off a week from Musicland and take us to Disney World. That's cool. And it was, and he loved it. He was a kid. He loved it as much as we loved it. And my mom loves it. And my, both my parents were kind of kids at heart. Yeah. You know, so I was raised that way. So there's a, there's a personal connection. But then the more I read about Walt, and it's not just Walt and it's not even Disney movies. It's the, it's the Imagineers. The fact that one man and his vision could could create so much and get these people the if you really study like the imagineers the first imagineers who helped build Disneyland mm-hmm. and worked on the project some of them had never done some of this stuff before, but he would just go to them. Like, there's a great story about, I didn't even know about the world's, you know, like it's a small world and things like that were yeah. built for the world's fair. They had like six weeks to build that. Really? Like, like and it they still didn't stands. Have, they had they didn't have a sponsor and 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 Walt comes to them. Like, I, I've been very lucky to meet, like I go to these conventions because I'm a total dork. Like I've met the Imagineers who wrote Pirates of the Caribbean, the, the song for the ride. And the, literally the story goes, well, I was in my office and Walt come in and said, um, I need a story. I need a song about pirates. Write me a song about pirates. And literally the mind, you know, yo-ho, yo-ho, pirates life for me. It's like this iconic pop culture spans yeah. that our childhood. And these people just write these songs and create these rides and design animatronics that had never been built before. And all because this crazy man, Walt, like they believed in his vision. So, in the same way, reason I like, you know, love Jim Henson for that, yeah. for that reason. They took their creative genius- And applied it for good, and and for family, and um, and for joy. Uh, You know, there's so much nonsense and evil in the world. There is that they decided that their 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 enterprise was going to be around joy. And what's better than that? You
0: exude positivity. Thank you. It gets
1: harder. Sure. I, I struggle the the older I get, and running a small business certainly doesn't help that. But yeah. uh, <laughs> that's well. But that's, I try. It's got to be stressful for I sure. Don't, I don't think I'm as joyful as I was 15 years ago. Right. I used to 20 years ago. Uh, oh my gosh, you know what I mean? But I try. Yeah. And it's just it's just a little hard.
0: See, I'm a little upset with Disney still because they got rid of my favorite ride, which was Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. Oh wow. I, I am furious because I, I love Mr. Toad. And I know yeah. he pops up in different places throughout the park. I think he might even be a
1: headstone at the the Haunted Mansion. Yeah, I think that they uh, – you can still ride it in Disneyland. Oh, is, is he over there? Yeah, the ride is still in Disneyland, okay. the original. Yeah. Yeah. Mr. Toad. So you just got to go to California. All
0: right. Fair <laughs> enough. Uh, Donald Duck, Daffy Duck, or Scrooge McDuck? Scrooge McDuck. Okay. So you're sticking with Disney on this. See, I felt like. Oh, did you say Daffy Duck? Was I love no, no. Daffy
1: Duck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's funny, but yeah.
0: yeah. Okay, so it's still Scrooge McDuck, though. Yeah. Okay, so that takes me to the next question, which would be: Nintendo had a ton of Disney games. You had Mickey Mouse Capades. You had Ducktales. You had Rescue Rangers. Did you have any of these games or I'm a favorite? I'm
1: sure I did. I don't. I don't remember. But I guess I you a little younger than At I this convention, when they were bringing back Ducktales, they had a giant pit of gold coins, and that you could duck, jump into, like the Ducktales. Really? And get your picture taken in midair, and we did it. Of course, you did. You're it. You're so jealous. So, how old are you? 45.
0: Okay, so okay, so you are the same age as I am, basically. Okay, cool. So I thought you were a little younger for some reason. You're just aging better. <laughs> That's what it is. So you
1: I know you're also a fan of the Sopranos. Yeah. Do you have a favorite mafia movie? Well, The Godfather is my favorite movie of all time. Is it really? Yeah, my favorite movies are The Godfather, Annie Hall, um and then you'd have to go into the Disney stuff, when Harry met Sally, and then you'd have to go into like uh, you know, the Batman stuff and the Star Wars stuff and and up and All those movies.
0: What do you think it is about those movies that transcend time? Because The Godfather, my grandfather was obsessed with that movie. And
1: that's going back. So was my father. He could could recite the whole movie from beginning to end. Oh, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Top five, without a doubt. Might be my number three movie. Okay. Um, The Godfather, it's just, you know, it was magical. I can remember like just as a kid watching it. And then it was one that we would watch with my dad and my mom. And more one than two. But I also love Casino.
0: I, I have Casino as mine. Casino and Donnie Brasco, kind of the offshoot yeah, yeah, movies. Yeah, yeah. yeah, great. And a Bronx Tale. Okay, I haven't seen that one. You never seen a Bronx
1: Tale? No. Oh my gosh! You have to watch two movies: Up and a Bronx Tale. Okay.
0: Sopranos. Did you ever meet anybody from the Sopranos? Mm,
1: no. Okay. No. I have. There's a, still time. I have a um poster, season one poster signed by the whole cast though that I got at a charity event. That's all. Awesome. It's in my movie event, and it's a it says you know season premiere etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. It's signed by everybody including James Gallofini because I got it fifteen years ago.
0: Yeah. Favorite Italian dinner. What is the one food that you don't tire of?
1: Any any really anything but my my mother's baked ziti is amazing. Okay. I love ziti. Yeah. Her baked ziti is uh it's like Ziti with the crushed meatballs and the cheese and everything. And then um what's it called? Uh Giovanni's on Route 40 used to have veal parmesan. That was like the only place I would order veal parmesan. Okay. Uh, but they're closed now. How about but,
0: a Tree? You ever go up there? Yeah,
1: Notre is great. It is and, good. And uh, Liberatore's, I love their crab ravioli there. And their eggplant parmesan is excellent at Liberatore's. Is it? Yeah, it's really good. Who's the owner up there? Uh, Italo. Italo Liberatore. That's right. Yeah. 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 We're in... Um, the Siab, the PSYAB, he, PSY, Society of Italian American Businessmen.
0: He ended up signing up when I was selling Five Stars. Oh yeah, he signed up, but he put me through the <laughs> ringer. I was, I, I went back there three or four times, and I feel like the from the the moment I even brought it up to him, I felt like he was going to do it, right? But he just gave me hell, right? Yeah. Anyway, but he's, he ended up signing up. So anyway, Ain't misbehaving Band. We kind of touched on it. We didn't actually give it a name at that point. Um, tell me about this band and how you actually got involved. Because you actually recently showed a video of you playing at Musicland. Yeah. And I just thought it was like a one-off thing where you joined this band that happened to be there and sang a song. But this is like a thing. That's what it was supposed
1: to be. So, yeah, Gray Gold, who's one of our teachers uh, plays in eight minutes behaving, which is a big band, jazz band, 22 piece trombones, saxophones, trumpets. I mean, it's everything. Mm-hmm. And, and he said, uh, we want to play a music land. I was like, of course, we'd love to have you. Of course. And, um, he had seen me sing a Christmas song. We did a uh, Christmas songs, a series of Christmas songs last year, leading up to Christmas that we had local musicians. And then we also had, which we'd love to have you this year. Do one. Um, yeah. um, and I sang one, I sang Marshmallow World with my friend Elio Scaccio, who's a really great opera singer. And... Um... So Gray knew me. He goes, why don't you sing a song? It was supposed to be one song with the band. Well, that turned into three songs. And then afterwards, the band director was like, we'd love to have you join the band. And it, I was like flabbergasted because I don't consider – I'm not a singer I, and I don't consider myself a singer. And, but uh, you're doing it. But I'm doing it and I lo- – it's literally a childhood dream come true. Like it's so funny because you it's know I your like genetics. how I mean, actors you're... like always say like I want to direct. So like I, I, do, right. I do comedy but I always wanted to be a singer. Right you now. <laughs> so, so now I drive my staff crazy because I'm like, I'm in a band and I have rehearsal tonight. And uh so yeah, I have a gig.
0: Yeah. So I'm kind of a big deal now, guys. Yeah, kind guys. of a big deal. Yeah. So now, is it all covers or are there some originals?
1: No, it's all, all covers as far as I know. Yeah. So, so yeah. how do you
0: reconcile all those lyrics? I've always considered doing the cover world. But it's like my entire life I've been doing original music. I know like hundreds of Brad songs. Right. But I don't know any like any cover
1: songs. <laughs> well, I was so obsessed with Sinatra that if it's a Sinatra song, I know them by heart. Yeah. Um, I still use lyrics because I'm just nervous. Yeah. And it's like a safety blanket there for me. And we did like Mac the Knife last night. And I don't know that song as well as some of the other ones. And you usually have like a podium there too, I right? have like a little – I have a music stand and okay. I have the lyrics up there. Really, like I said, as a safety net. But it makes sense though in the context of a big band. Yeah. Although I'd like to focus now on more the entertainer side of it, you know? It's it's sort of like comedy. Like I said, when you're first doing comedy, you're focusing on like saying the words, and sometimes you can forget about like there's so many things going through your mind that you can forget about the the delivery of yeah. the joke or the pausing or the feeding off the audience. There's so many things to think about. So right now I'm worried about the the the, the words uh, and I'm worried about singing on in key because <laughs> right. I'm not 100% comfortable yet sure. so I'm not smiling at the audience I'm not doing hand gestures so I have to that's where I have to work on right. the, 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 the showman aspect of
0: it a lot of times what I found was that i actually have like a binder on the floor with the lyric in there okay I never referenced it but just knowing it was, it was there, there yeah it just brought the lyrics out, and I
1: didn't have to worry about it anymore. So. Sometimes I still have my comedy set in my pocket, just like because this right. like feeling like you're like, gonna
0: really pull it out. And you
1: should be like a quarter, like you did the quarterback, like you just did with your wrist, with your wrist there, where you have the plays right. on your wrist. <laughs> so the difference between a funeral
0: and a wedding. Wait, let me see here. Check the wrist. This is totally going off uh, another direction, but Jim Gaffigan.
2: Yeah,
1: Do you like him? Oh, he's great. He was great. I was I was doing a um, one of those. Sh- showcase shows in new york and he walked in the green room surprised everybody and did a set uh it was just like unbelievable you've got to do so many cool things i know it's great i mean you know i didn't get to talk to him or anything i mean like say hi or whatever but um he's great he's one of my favorites he's hilarious yeah, I'm sure he's funny
0: off, off stage as well. Yeah, I remember we got to open up for um, Sebastian Bach, which was the singer for Skid Row. And I, I looked up to him a lot as a kid. And that particular night we did Welcome to the Jungle and we got to go back and meet him. And it was kind of like one of those moments you had where he was like, I thought that was just them playing the radio between sets. I'm like, no, man, that was me. <laughs> That's and, awesome. And I just, you know, I'm blushing. You know, he's like seven foot. I'm like five foot nothing. And, <laughs> you know, so it's really cool when you get to meet your heroes and you've got to meet yeah. a lot of them.
1: Yeah, I've been very lucky. Very lucky.
0: I know you've recently launched your open mic nights. Yeah. So when are those, and what can you tell me about uh, it's
1: them? It's Wednesday nights. It's at six o'clock. We were we were starting at seven. right now. It's happening right now. There was going when I left the store. It was. Uh, uh, okay. Happening.
0: I saw the the Facebook Live thing pop up. That must yeah. be what it was.
1: Yeah, we were stream. We uh, we were streaming, and then we weren't, and now we're back to streaming. Um, so we've got a good core group of people that come every week. We've got our regulars, and then and then some new people pop up. It's family friendly, um, so any age can come. You know, we make sure that there's not really kind of inappropriate lyrics, and uh, so kids can come there with their family. Um, it's really, you cool. probably don't have a lot of kids at that hour though. We do. Do you do? Yeah. Because we're also, they going to go and play on a stage with a pro sound oh, that's guy. True. Yeah. So yeah, there's actually one group called, um, homeschool of rock, their homeschool. And yeah. it's three sons and their father, and they go out there and they play Metallica. And then sometimes they mix it up with their friends. And, um, Yeah, and then we have like an eight-year-old that comes that plays. And uh, so, yeah, it – To get that experience
0: so young. Exactly. One of the things that really stands out is a lot of the guests I have on the show that are very talented, they started very early. While that brain is just taking it all in, it gets harder to learn things as you get older. Right. So the fact that they're doing it at eight years old means by the time they're 20, 25 years old, they're going to be killing the game. Yeah. So you're offering an opportunity for that. Yeah, my first gig was inside the Harford Mall, playing acoustically. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, it was right there in the middle courtyard where yeah. they put Santa Claus. Yeah, that yeah, was my first gig. That's awesome. But I, I'll come up and do an open mic. I'd oh, love please to. Do, yeah. I got some all these new songs that I want to kind of try out. And yeah, anything else you want to share or promote tonight?
1: I don't think so. You've been great. I appreciate all the time. Hope yeah, I man, didn't bore you. I
0: appreciate you coming on. Uh, you've you've done a lot of cool things. Like I said, you've you've turned Musicland into more of a destination place at this point. Like I'm sure people would go up there just to hang out. Yeah. If you had more couches, yeah, maybe maybe we you do need, have more. You know, we added the couches. You and the need seating. a
1: coffee bar in there. We have talked about that. We have talked about a coffee bar or a bar, and it's, because people, why do they go to Starbucks? It's not for the coffee, right? The vision for Music on Live originally was for it to be, you know, to be kind of a coffee bar kind of thing, and uh, you know, there's pros and cons, and there's challenges with that, and all that, and there's licenses and all that stuff. Uh, So, but it's on the list. It's on the list. You could partner with like a local, like coffee, coffee. Yeah. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. And you've obviously got the comedy. You've got the Ain't Misbehaving band. A lot of things going on with you. you got Musicland and Lincoln. But Larry Noto, thank you for being on the show. Thank you.
1: And thanks for everything you do for local musicians. You're, Absolutely. You're, it's awesome. Yeah, man. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you.